Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. Hello, it's Richard and Linda Iyer with Ayers on the Road, and we are once again on the road. Have we ever done this show from our home, Linda? <laughs> yeah, we used to, but it seems like with the autumn is our busy travel time, we're travel, travel, traveling. And we have to say that this week, we are actually down in St. George, Utah at the Senior Games. You know, this Richard comes down here every Linda, year. Linda, that's the World Senior Games. The game. World Senior Games. He comes down every year and gets a whole gaggle of medals. And he's, you know, he gets lots of gold medals, which means he's the very best in the world, except for the people that didn't come. <laughs> and so it is really exciting. Well, you know, I think I should melt those babies down. If they were just more authentic, we could melt them down and we could be fighting the recession, you know? Yes. You know all those things on TV that say you're supposed to buy gold? We believe in winning gold at the senior game. Absolutely. Pure gold, too, those big old medals. Anyway, we are having a lot of fun. There are always some interesting people here. In fact, Richard just finished a match with a couple of guys, he, he was a doubles match, and he just finished that, um, and won in a third set tiebreaker. And they were fellas from Alaska, and we used to come down here a lot and play uh, basketball. I hurt my shoulder last year in basketball, so I've missed a couple of years, but they really do. I mean, I'm just going to do a little shout-out for the uh, Huntsman World Senior Games. They do draw from all over the world. Um, we used to play the Russian team every year in the finals in basketball. And I won't tell you the outcome. I'll just tell you we got to the final and played the Russians. <laughs> every but, year. <laughs> but they uh, then in, in the track and field, which we'll be going to tomorrow, there are a lot of uh, South Americans. A, lot of, a guy from Brazil beat me the last time in the triple jump. So I'm hoping he stays home this time. <laughs> That's the funny thing I have to tell. We'll get to the parenting stuff and the family stuff. In fact, I've got a segue in mind for this, Linda. But I have to tell you that uh, the interesting thing about playing in senior games of any kind, and it's for anyone over 50, so it's not like we're that old, Linda, but uh, the cool thing is that every year, if you just last another year, you do better and better. And it's not that you're getting any better. It's the law of attrition. The people who beat you the year before might not come again. And so, by definition, if you just keep on staying in there and staying in there, in fact, I'm relatively sure by the time I get in the 90 and over division, I'm going to sweep all the events. I there won't be anyone else there but me. You're absolutely right. And, and by saying they don't, they might not come, you're not wishing they would die. No, but, no, no. Just, but they just get old. to the age where they just can't play so much anymore. In fact, he just cannot wait to get a few years older so that he's the youngest in his division again instead of the oldest in his exactly. division. Exactly. That's the key. That is the key. When you're just entering a division and some other people have dropped out, whew, you feel so good. I feel so fast, so strong, so quick. And then I go back home and play with some of my boys and I feel old and slow once again. <laughs> Absolutely. And the segue? And I, well, I just think before the segue, it's a little unfair that, look, I mean, Linda, you're a musician. And as you get older, you just get better. You just get your 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 tone and your quality of, of you know how you play the violin just improves. And and I'm on a downhill slope. Sports and music do not ever compare them because 
you know, some of these opera singers hit their stride about 60 years old. No, uh, no, I'm not sure think? I agree with that. No. No. Yasha Heifetz, how old is he playing that violin? Oh, oh. Well, he, yeah, he was... Yeah, I mean, uh, sports, on the other hand, you got to really fight to stay. Now, as for the segue, you see, we're down here with a lot of grandpas and grandmas, and it's interesting to us how many of them are talking about... Well, you know, actually, to be real candid and real honest, seems like about half of them are talking about their grandkids and how proud they are of them and blah, 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 and so-and-so did this and so-and-so did this. And, and about the other half are like, wow, this is so great to be here without our kids and our grandkids just by ourselves playing golf and going to restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. And, you know, um, this last little while, uh, in fact, this last weekend, was our church's general conference, and we had to remember how amazing it was that we were just sitting there watching it ourselves. We could uh, be uninterrupted while we watched. And all those years while we watched with those kids trying to hassle screaming babies and quarreling kids. And figure out games to help them to listen and writing down things so they would pay attention to the general conference speakers and so on. But I have to tell you, Linda, I miss that in a lot of ways. I know, there's good, things, there's good things about both ways, but we really enjoy this. We don't like to tell our kids how much fun we're having uh, because then they're going to want to get here sooner. But actually it is a wonderful time of life in both areas, when you're home with kids, when you're home with grandkids, and then when you have a chance to be away and really just do what you want to for a while. And in case you're, in case we're sounding like, oh, well, we're way over the hill and we're old, old, old. We're, we're just a little teeny bit old. In fact, we're not even really a little bit old. In fact, we're, <laughs> if you go by the seasons of life, some people would say, you know, you go through the spring and you got all your kids and it's young and everything's blooming, and then you go into the summer and it's, the peak of everything and it's hot and everything's going on and then you go into fall no 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 wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute we're not in the fall we're in the indian summer of life yeah indian summer and we've got fall and winter left to go that's right and it's it's about 88 degrees down here today and so it truly is indian summer even though we're into october now, I do want to say one other thing about this week, and then we'll segue this into the family and parenting and balance and all that stuff, too. But uh, on our way down, we stopped at this Shakespeare Festival. We're big fans of the Utah Shakespearean Festival. Utah Shakespeare Festival, I guess, is what it's called. But it turns out one of Linda's old teachers from Montpelier, Idaho, Fred Adams, is the man. Actually, his mother was my English teacher when I was in high school. That really does uh, date me. But he came down here and started the Shakespeare Festival, and it has just grown to magnificent proportions. But this time... Wait, we... don't, don't tell them what we saw. Oh, okay. Say one more thing. All right, go away. ahead, go ahead. Well, I just was going to say, it, it is really cool to go down here and see the families who come to the Shakespeare Festival. I love that. And, of course, it's made for families. I mean, they have lectures on shake on each play they have lectures on the, the things that went into the play on the theater itself on the costumes and so on and kids love it and it's neat to see a lot of full families coming to the shakespeare plays in the old theater in the round what do they call those shakespeare authentic shakespeare theater just like stratford on avon and and of course they also have this other theater where they do more modern plays 
And now, drum roll, we are huge, huge fans of one musical. In fact, in our minds, there are lots of good ones, and there is one truly great one. Wait, the key word here was musical. This is not a Shakespearean play. No, no. Because they're really done with their their season, although Hamlet's still playing. But they um, have kind of morphed into, you know, other other plays, modern plays, and plays that, and musicals. And this is the first real musical we've ever seen here. Drum roll, the greatest in our humble and considered opinion. The greatest musical of all time. <laughs> is Les Miserables. Um, honestly, we saw it 36 years ago in London when we were there. That was when it debuted, and we thought it was fabulous. We were by Victor- we came in at Victoria Station. We'll never forget that night and went to see this the magnificent play, the Palace Theater. And uh, it was so stunning that even the hard-bit London crowd gave it an immediate standing ovation. And I'll tell you what, I, I remember going back over to Victoria Station and this filthy woman came up to me and held her hand out. And I actually shook her hand and felt like kissing her hand and gave her whatever she wanted because I had just realized what a horrible experience so many people have in life. And I knew that before, but to see it on stage, and of course this was the time of the French Revolution, but it's still going on. Well, wait, 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 wait. We, we weren't in England at the time of the French Revolution. No, no, no. <laughs> Now, speaking of age, yeah, no. <laughs> no, Les Mis, you're, of course, is set at the time of the French Revolution, and uh, Les Miserables, the Miserables. It was a tough time for a lot of people, but I just have to say, London, I mean, you know, we, we were, I was the mission president in London. We were trying to, we were doing more than any other time in our life, sort of spiritual things every day. And yet I'm going to, I'm just going to say it, seeing Les Mis that, in that opening weeks in, in London, and for the first time being exposed to that incredible story by Victor Hugo, it was a spiritual experience. I mean, it was so well done that we went out of there just basically stunned. And, and you, you guess what we're leading up to. That's, that's what we saw in, in Cedar City, the, the Shakespeare Festival. Then we went in with somewhat low expectations because we have seen Les Miserables probably a dozen times. Yeah, New York, Los Angeles twice in London, and we just thought, how good could this be? And it was fabulous. But actually, it was fabulous. It was maybe the best Jean Valjean that we've seen. And if those of you who have not seen it, sorry, we'll go on. But it really is quite amazing what a musical can do and what great writing to do can do. Victor Hugo is amazing. We've been to his house in, in Paris, and his mind was just unbelievable. What a genius. So d- two things I'm going to say before we move on. If you, re- if, you, if you really want the Les Mis experience, read the book Les Miserables and read the unabridged version. Now, it's long. It's over a 1,000 pages. But the thing it has that the abridged version doesn't have is the full story of the bishop in the first part of the book, who is the person who basically buys Jean Valjean's soul for God through his generosity. I won't say any more than that, but it's, it's, a, it's an incredible book. And then the two Frenchmen who wrote the musical from the story must have just hit their stride. I mean, it is the most wonderful show. And what I'm just going to say to segue again to families is that I would uh, – I don't know if Linda Grandma was shooting younger than her, but I think any child over eight or nine 
can grasp not a, not everything in Les Mis, but enough to be moved by the power of the story and the power of the music. Well, I, those of you who've seen it, there's some hard parts um, in that, and there's some stuff that probably they won't get, but they might. So I don't know. That would be your choice. But and uh, I, I just well, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I, Les Mis is coming out as a movie this Christmas, and. Uh, the, the previews and trailers we've seen, we are really excited for that. And it's coming to Salt Lake City, Pioneer Memorial Theater, so it's sort of the year of Lehman. And we are out of time for the first segment. We are, and we're kind of goofy about this because we just love it so much. All of our children love it. All of them have read the book. And uh, we're going to the movie together at Christmas when they come home. But if you are not that interested in Les Mis, we're going to go on to that a very special segue in the second part of the show, so hang in there and come back and join us in a minute. And we're back. We've been talking about musicals of all things, Les Mis, um, this half hour, but we are going to now segue into parenting and grandparenting, which um, we need to segue. And, and I think the best way to do that is to just say that uh, don't ever underestimate you parents or grandparents the power that music and drama and any form of excellence can have in a child's life. Here's my theory. I really believe that children, even before they are particularly critical, even before they really are capable of making a judgment about how good or how bad something is, I actually believe that fairly small children have an innate sense of excellence. And when they see something that's truly fine, truly world-class, they respond to it. They might not be able to tell you why they think it's so good or why it makes them feel sort of moved or sort of you know, excited and, and, and touched, but they actually do feel it. And I think parents and grandparents are sometimes the one that can do this because they can afford it. If, if there is a really good production coming to where you live, uh, whether it's a musical, whether it's a symphonic uh, evening, whether it's a, a play, some sort of a drama, I think children ought to be taken along to those. And the more you tell them beforehand so they understand the story, the better they are. And that leads into an appreciation for literature. Uh, it does, in fact, perfect, because I was just going to mention that I just finished reading a book that is our youngest daughter's favorite book in the world, which I had never read, called A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. And it is so amazing because it's about these two little children being raised in poverty with their parents. The father is an alcoholic. The mother is scrounging every day to just put enough food in their mouth to, that they barely can survive. But one thing they always did every day is read one page from the Bible and one page from Shakespeare. And honestly, just that one page every day really, I think, made all the difference in their lives. They both became such amazing people coming through all that and and obviously the ones that were totally uneducated kind of went a different path. But because they'd had that, I mean, the boy did not want to go to school, and there was no requirement to go to school. I think this was in the 30s. But he um, he went to school and aced everything in literature and drama and so on because he knew Shakespeare. He knew Hamlet back and forth. And so I think it makes a huge difference if we expose our kids to really find things, as Richard was saying, and, and when one, they're young. 
and and when you know again there's a real they go hand in glove good literature good good drama good good musicals good music in general things that really are cultured and fine and that have that sense of excellence about them and of course i mean what 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 strikes me when you say that linda is here were these people growing up in Brooklyn. The reason, one reason, that they read from the Bible and from Shakespeare every day to their kids is probably that's the only two books they had. Or, you know, that at least there are people like that, and so that's wonderful. But when you think of the rich variety we have today, I'm not saying they should ever supersede the Bible or Shakespeare, but, wow, we've got a lot of options to give our children great experiences with, with literature and the arts. Uh, I just read a book that was recommended to us by a friend, uh, uh, that I recommend to all of you, and I think kids from maybe nine, ten, up to mid-teens would just love to read this book themselves. Or it's a great read-aloud book, and it's a book called Wonder. The author is hard to pronounce; starts with a P. But any of you who Google the book Wonder, it's a brand new book. I think it'll win all of the awards this year. I think I mentioned it briefly last week. But uh, it's a tremendous book. And spread the word. I mean, one thing parents should do more of is tell their friends who also have children about any great literature experiences they've had or books that they've enjoyed or books their kids are enjoying. Spread the word. There's nothing better than sharing the arts and literature with our kids. You know, one thing that um, we do every summer is have some friends over at Bear Lake after our huge family uh, reunion and people are starting to leave, friends come and there's one friend of our daughter, Sadie, who comes every year with her four little girls and they always have a new poem to say for us and a beautiful poem. And um, I can't remember if they're homeschooled full-time or if this mom just... I think it's just part-time. I think it's just part-time, but honestly... This mother makes sure these children have these beautiful poems going around in their head, and it's so impressive. And which reminds me, when our kids were little, and we had this money system where they had to do so much every every five days a week, and so on. And if they were consistent, they got their money doubled. But if they missed it by just a couple of points, we'd put a scripture or a, our favorite quote on the refrigerator, and if they could say it memorized, then they could go over the top and get their money doubled. And Honestly, I really think that that was more useful than the money. Yeah, and I don't think we should ever underestimate how lodging uh, in the mind of a child some really, really beautiful and really true saying, that becomes a part of that child. I'll give you one really simple example. Uh, One of the things that, that they memorized, and this was one of the shorter ones, some of them were a verse from Scripture or a lengthy quote from literature, lengthy meaning a paragraph maybe at the most, but but one of the sayings that they learned was from Shakespeare, and it was, our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we often might win by failing to attempt. And you may say, oh, it's a little, it's a little um, hard to understand for little kids. Well, one of our boys who learned it was about seven, maybe eight, and we explained it, you know, our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we oft might win by failing to attempt. And he had a, we didn't know actually how much of an idea he had, but I'll never forget we were at a junior jazz. It was the All-Star game, the NBA All-Star game in Salt Lake City that year. And the night before the game, we were there and they were having a slam dunk contest for kids of different ages. 
And this little Eli was a fierce basketball player, and he really wanted to enter it. But there were a lot of people in the stands. I mean, this was in Energy Solutions Arena. It was called the Delta Center then. And uh, he he just didn't. He said, I'm not going to go. Well, he's I'm not so going to go. Quiet and shy and retiring, yeah. and he just. But he's a darn good little basketball one, player. One part of him wanted to go so bad, but he said, no, I, I, I'm not going to enter. I'm not going to go. And so I didn't want to push him too much, so I was talking to one of the other boys, and all of a sudden he, like, got up and went down there and entered the slam dunk contest, and he won. And he, I remember Boomer Esiason, the quarterback, gave him his his trophy, and he was so proud. And he came back up to the stands, and I said, Eli, what, what made you change your mind? And he looked me straight in the eye, <laughs> and he said, Dad, our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we often might win by failing to attempt. And I think he was eight years old. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, that was really fun. I, I'm sure all you moms out there know who Boomer is, but it was really <laughs> exciting for him and for his dad, uh, that not only that he won, but especially that he remembered that. And, just and he, applied right it. he applied it to his life. And, and so, you know, you teach kids things like this. Just the other day, our daughter Sadie was was saying, uh, what was the one she was remembering that I'd almost forgotten? Oh, happiness is the thing of here and now, the bright leaf in the hand, the moment sun, the fight accomplished, or the summit won. When things go well, happiness may start, but joy is secret smiling of the heart. And I, I mean, now I see, I can remember it. I wouldn't have thought of it. Sadie thought of it. But there were dozens, maybe maybe a hundred of these all together, and I think the kids still remember. Well, I think there's a dozen or so that they really remember. And I remember when the kids had left home for a while, our married daughter, who finally had a child old enough to read and memorize and so on, wrote and said, please send me those quotes. That's the one of the most precious things I have in my mind, in my brain. Because she knew them, but she didn't know who said them all. Yeah, she wanted yeah. to tell the authorship. And she thought some of them she'd forgotten and so on and so I mean, as far as, you know, the number of them. And so it was really, really fun to think, oh, that was so important to them. Sometimes I think when we're home with our children, we just get so lost in the minutia of just trying to get them where they have to be and do what they have to do and get their homework done and practicing and all that that we kind of forget that those little things that we do like that, that are just kind of momentary, are the things that really go with them when they leave our homes. I think that's absolutely true. And so we're thinking a lot about a variety of things, but it all sort of ties together because it's all about exposing children to things that really, really can become important in terms of how they see the world, in terms of their paradigm or their worldview. And, and, you know, as long as we're on, we're down here for sports, and uh, by the way, I'm a little out of breath, but we just won our tennis match. I'll give a shout-out to Tom Smith, my doubles partner, who played extremely well today, didn't you think, Linda? Yes, except for those air balls. Oh, yeah, a couple yeah. air balls. And a couple in the net that you did. But, you know, other than that, you were great. Well, we won, and, and so I'm happy about that. But what I was going to say is, there's a balance here. We run into two extremes, to be honest. We run into some parents who they just, they're, they're really, they're trying so hard. This is rare, but you do see it occasionally. They're trying so hard to isolate their kids from sort of the broader culture, which they perceive as, and they're right, in many ways as amoral or immoral, and so they don't expose their kids to hardly anything. 
And there are some on that extreme. But uh, honestly, there are far more on the other extreme where they are so hell-bent, pardon the French, to, to expose their kids to everything that they've got them in soccer and tennis and rugby and volleyball and violin and marching band and dance class, and it goes on and on and on. And parents, you cannot have a family culture and have family communication if all you're doing day after day is chauffeuring the kids around to a million different lessons. It is not your job to expose them to everything on the planet Earth. Uh, I think I've told this story before, but, I mean, there was a time when our four little boys each had, they were playing soccer. It was soccer season, two practices in a game every week. Two of them were on the same team, but there were two others that weren't, and it was crazy. They were also doing music lessons, and, and they were yeah, also doing Yeah, they were doing, doing a lot of other stuff, and, and I finally set them down. On the, I remember on the top stair, and I stood down in front of them on a lower stair, and I said, you guys, this is the end of soccer season, and I have to say we are not going to play next fall because guess what? We don't eat dinner together. We don't talk together. All we're doing is just running around to these soccer games all the time. And I expected they'd be crying and so on. And one little kid raised his hand really brave, and he said, Oh, good, Mom, because we don't like soccer. And I just about died. I thought, why didn't you tell me that before? I mean, you know, they were just going along and so on. I mean, obviously, sometimes I used to lay in bed and worry that I had a prima ballerina, and I know nothing about ballet. And so what if I never exposed her to that? And I'm sure there's a lot of that in parents trying to expose their kids to as much as they can. But what we figured in the long run, now that our kids are all out of the nest, is that they gravitate to what they love. They they gravitate to it. We have six fabulous photographers. And, well, you're a pretty good photographer. I'm no good. I mean, I don't know. That wasn't in the genes. That would just... They're just, they loved what they loved, and it's so fun to see that. Well, but again, remember, it is a question of balance. And they do, if you begin to notice an aptitude or a talent or an interest that's very strong, then of course it is your, yes. it's your goal. It should be your privilege as well as your responsibility to do all you can to expose, that's back to where we started the show, expose them to the best you can find. Find the best teacher take them to the best performances, but hone it to something you've noticed about an extreme interest or a potential talent. And don't think you have to get them in every single thing. Let let things go like you let soccer go. And when it wasn't so important, we're out of time. My gosh, the half hour goes fast. But I want to say, just in closing, kids are the greatest privilege of life. And to be able to raise them and try to mold them, try to find what they're good at, try to see them as a puzzle and figure out who they are and cultivate them according to what you conclude, it's a tremendous privilege. We're happy to share a little time with you other parents every week because there's nothing more important in life. So we hope you'll join us again soon. Talk to you then. Bye-bye.